0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This week on Rewind, your week in review. The future of absentee ballot drop boxes remains up in the air. We have the latest developments in the Republican efforts seeking to ban them. Plus, how the former president is creating even more uncertainty surrounding drop boxes. We have his message to GOP leaders. And Wisconsin has an unprecedented projected budget surplus. How lawmakers are split over what to do with this. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 28th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannon.
1: And I'm J. R. Ross.
0: Jared, let's start this week with a very anticipated announcement Mm -hmm. with Kevin Nicholson officially entering the Republican or as a Republican in the governor's race. He will set up a GOP competitive primary against former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish. He was uh, made the rounds on the radio shows yesterday, making his announcement and kind of took a lot of shots Mm -hmm. at Clayfish, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and what he calls the Republican machine. Let's take a listen of him kind of bashing the Republican Party.
1: I don't think any of us can convince ourselves that if we keep electing the same broken record to office, the same machine, that they're suddenly going to get serious about this stuff and fix it. That's why I'm running for governor. We need people from the outside to step up and to actually fight.
0: So Nicholson has been trying to set himself as an outsider, mm-hmm. trying to differentiate himself from Rebecca Clayfish, really taking shots at Clayfish and kind of just in total, attacking the Republican party, calling them out specifically, because they have lost 11 out of the past 12 statewide general elections. So I guess, will this, uh, I guess, theme of his work, right? Is it gonna stand out? Because in these kind of primaries, you have to separate yourself, even though their agenda is pretty similar. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Nicholson doesn't have much of an option otherwise. If you go back and look, um, Clayfish's campaign put out some polling to supporters a week and a half ago that she was up like 45 points on Nicholson in a uh, potential head-to-head matchup, 40, 50 points. How does Kevin Nicholson catch Rebecca Clayfish? He has to tear her down. And for Nicholson, you don't just tear down Clayfish, you tear down the entire machine, right? The decaying machine to do enough about critical race theory, uh, created the Elections Commission, more on school choice to show that you are this guy's going to shake up the system and win. Now the question is one, will it work because the grassroots the, of the party really likes Rebecca Clayfish. They have for a long time. She's part of the Walker administration. Uh, Walker's so popular with the grassroots. So there's that question. Two, does he have the money to do it? So now big thing this week, Dick Uline, who is an Illinois businessman, Groups that were funded by Dick Uline spent about 11 million dollars helping Nicholson in his 2018 Senate campaign, which that's a lot of money. They can't just rely on soft money to run a campaign. You have to have hard dollars. Nicholson raised less than four million dollars as raised for Senate in 2018, which sounds like a lot of money, but Clayfish raised three and a half and or what five, Uh, or three and a half and banked 2.6 million by the end of last year. He has to make up that gap. Can he catch Nichols or Clayfish on the hard dollar front? Why is that important? Well, Dick Uline can spend money on groups that you know can run ads about nickels. Nickels has to have an operation, a turnout operation. He has to have a campaign manager. He's got to run ads. He has to do all these things that you have to pay for. You can't do that with soft money from an outside group because you can't. it's not possible. Now, there's some great areas in state law about coordination between outside groups, and those kinds of things, but let's just kind of focus on running a campaign. you got to have dollars to do that. That's another challenge. Thirdly um, is a grassroots opening Kevin Nicholson. So go back and look in 2018 that race for US Senate. Uh, the state party has an endorsement process where candidates vie for the backing of the party. The delegates vote at convention. In that race in 18, Leah Vukmir, state senator, got 73% of the vote from delegates at the convention in 2018. Now Nicholson won 57 counties in that primary, lost by five points to Vukmir, but the grassroots then was overwhelmingly on Nicholson's side. Has he changed that dynamic since 2018, or has he set up a repeat of running against a favored female candidate of the GOP base and running the risk of being a two-time loser which could kind of end his political career in Wisconsin.
0: Right, and Nicholson of course entered this race a week after, or I would say maybe even two weeks after Assembly Speaker Robin Voss encouraged him, do not get Mm -hmm. in the race because it could impact The party's chances of defeating Governor Evers, and they say that is because once there's a competitive party or a competitive primary, more money is thrown in it, and you're spending more money on attacking each other instead of the messaging around defeating Governor Evers as well. And, And I also think there's this question too, Jr. Is where does Trump's endorsement go? Right, that's a big question because he tapped a former Congressman Sean Duffy, who decided not to run because of family reasons. So where does where does Trump go? Because they're both trying to very align themselves and their mm-hmm. campaigns and their themes of law and order, election integrity, to please Trump.
1: I ask that question because my perception of the Duffy thing with Trump was that there's a group of kind of well-placed Republicans in Wisconsin who have Trump's ear that aren't convinced Clayfish is the strongest possible candidate. Those folks, though, I don't get the impression they're big fans of Kevin Nicholson. So if you're Nicholson and you want the Trump endorsement, who's advocating for you with Donald Trump? Who has an... Uh, an avenue to him that can reach a former president and get you on his side. Now, Clayfish, you know, she could argue, hey, she did these Women for Trump events in 2020. Um, I don't know if she's going to get the Trump endorsement, mm-hmm. but I don't know that Nicholson has the avenue to get it himself.
0: Right, that'll be interesting. And uh, a lot of developments also this week as we move on to our next topic with absentee ballot drop boxes. I call it the absentee ballot drop box saga because there's quite (laughs) the timeline that we want to let our viewers know about. Uh, Let's bring up the slide about this. So this all kind of started on January 13th when a Waukesha County judge ruled absentee ballot drop boxes are prohibited and that the ballots must be returned in person or by mail. Then January 21st, that same judge refused to issue a a stay that would have restrict ballot drop boxes. Same ruling. He didn't budge on that, saying they can only be located at municipal clerk's offices. Then on January 24th, a state appeals court blocks the Waukesha County judge's decision and rules, hey, they can be used in the February 15th primary. So at this point, voters are a little confused. And then this week, the latest development, the conservative law firm, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty is asking the state Supreme Court to basically make up the decision. They should rule. They're asking them to rule which could be any day now, right, um, about unmanned drop boxes in Wisconsin. We're going to kind of shift into, I guess, the drama that unfolded yep. about drop boxes this week, which came from former President Donald Trump, who basically got word of a Republican effort of a bill that was being drafted to... Uh, uh, it was actually leaked on a conservative um, website that would basically allow limited drop boxes in Wisconsin. Once Trump got word of that he was pretty upset. He sent out a statement saying, some rhino Republicans in Wisconsin are working hand-in-hand with others to have drop boxes again placed in Wisconsin. These fools are playing right into Democrats' hands. So Trump is targeting two Republicans here without naming them, Speaker Voss and Senator Kathy Buneer, a former Chippewa County clerk who has been really standing up against uh, Mm -hmm. Trump's false statements that the election was stolen. So I I guess right now is the uncertainty Mm -hmm. if lawmakers can ever make progress on drop boxes.
1: Yep. So, uh, court thing first. The Supreme Court could issue a ruling at any minute about whether it's going to take the case, because right now it's for the 4th District Court of Appeals. The motion asks them to take over the case and issue an emergency order to basically reinstate the ban on unmanned drop boxes. So, for those at home, um, no matter what happens, if you're at a clerk's office on February 15th, you'll have a, a manned drop box. The clerk's office, if they have one, you can still use that. We're talking about the ones by the fire stations, by police stations, by libraries, those ones are the ones that are at issue here. The court will decide whether to take the case and the U.S. Supreme Court has said in the past, it does not like big changes to election policies within a certain window of an election. And that's part of why the 4th District on Monday said, we're putting this on hold because absentee ballots have already gone out. There's a question if those ballots are already in a drop box, what happens to them, right? Right. So we're worried about this. Will, in this petition, the Supreme Court said, hey, all you gotta do is say any, dr- any ballot in drop box is okay before this ruling. Give a couple of days after your ruling to say that clerks have X number of days to cover up drop boxes, to remove them, whatever. It would not be a problem. A lot, ask a lot of clerks, quite frankly, with election coming up, but there's that legal piece of it, right? The court at any minute could issue its ruling. Politically, here's the dynamic for Republicans. If the courts don't rule the way Republicans want them to, then what? Right? So, right now, there's no limit on the number of drop boxes you can have. The bill that was drafted would say, much like a bill that the Senate took up the last spring, you have one drop box, unmanned drop box per community. And if you're a larger community, like more than 70,000 people, have up to three more. So, like the city of Milwaukee you could have four, period. Right? The challenge is this Republicans have a major, well, conservatives have a majority of the Supreme Court, four or three. But Republicans don't trust Brian Hagedorn. So if you are banking on the Supreme Court to say, no drop boxes, period, sale doesn't allow them, if you're conservative, do you trust Brian Hagedorn to be on your side in this issue when he's broken with the party on other election-related things, right? Is it better for you to pass a bill that would limit it to up to four because you have some certainty, right? There's some restriction where it's not the, in their minds, the Wild West with drop boxes in Milwaukee where they can be anywhere, Madison, Democracy in the Park, all those kinds of things. What's more, um, if you pass that bill, Evers is going to veto it. So it gets you nothing if you pass the bill, probably. I know, by the way, if you do it because of Trump's comments and the way Gateway Pundit, the of website, published the, the draft of the bill, has jazzed up certain people, you're getting grief from the hardcore group of the base, whatever it is, that thinks election was stolen, giving you crap because you you're are, doing anything. yes. Right. Why are you messing with drop boxes, period? Why are you doing this? You're just enabling the Democrats to win they're in a very difficult situation with this overall because either option has an issue for them. Now, best case scenario, for Republicans at least, Supreme Court says no drop boxes, period, end of story, issue's over, we go away.
0: Right, and that proposed uh, legislation that was kind of being spearheaded by Senator Kathy Bernier. I called her office. They said, for now, it's at least off the table. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we think it's mainly because of Trump speaking up and getting involved, which kind of leads into our next development is when uh, there was a media availability with assembly speaker robin Voss on a session day uh, reporters we all tried to ask him about well where where do you stand on drop boxes because this happened on monday mm-hmm. with president trump and his statement then on that same day speaker Voss sent out a statement saying that he uh, doesn't support an expansion of drop boxes but the, the confusing part is back in 2020 his attorney kind of signaled some support for drop boxes. In that letter it stated, we wholeheartedly support voters' use of these convenient, secure, and authorized absentee ballot methods. So when we tried to ask him, he dodged questions. We're gonna play the video in a second. Basically we were trying to just say yes or no, do you support these, or do you support them in a limited fashion, And Voss kind of fought back saying, we're focused on Gableman's investigation and I want to focus on why we're here today. So he defended that. I'm not going to talk about the issue. We're going to talk about the session day about law enforcement. Let's take a listen.
1: Now I know folks in the media, because you live in Dane County and you have a tendency to focus on the topics that the Democrats want to talk about. They want to talk about all about, um, you know, election accountability. We know that we have to deal with an awful lot of those issues, which is why we have Justice Gabeman doing his investigation. We have legislation that's moving its way through the process, but you would make it seem like that's all we're focusing on. That is an important part of what we do, but it is not all that we do. What people really care about is the rising cost of goods, the fact that you are now going to see people paying an awful lot more. More for food over the course of this next year than they did even last year. You're gonna see people focusing on the fact that we have rampant crime because Democrat policies and people like Governor Evers have made a decision to say they are not gonna be supporting the police. Nobody wants to talk about that even though we are in the midst of a crime epidemic in southeastern Wisconsin. So that's what the people want us to talk about.
0: So once again, Speaker Voss is kinda of in this tough position. What is, you know, he's got his, part of his caucus is saying like, we need to do something please act and he's kind of just tiptoeing around the issue and we don't know where he stands yet or the next time we can ask him about it.
1: that yeah. to be fair uh, the assembly has not taken up the bill that the Senate did last March I think it was with, with the drop box component in it so they've shown no interest part of because we are splitting the caucus about what to do. This pressure of like the Trump wing of the party saying no drop boxes period. Though, in their minds more reasonable wing saying we'd like some certainty about this issue let's not leave it to chance. So you're getting that. Oh by the way the drop thing played into the whole Tim Rantham issue, right, because Robin took away Rantham's only full-time staffer. I think he still got a half-timer. But his only full-time staffer um, because Rantham was spreading lies about the caucus, including his claim that Robin said that Rantham had accused him of working with uh, Hillary Clinton's attorney to okay drop boxes. Gateway Pundit, again, which is a common thread in all this stuff right, right mm-hmm. now, right? Um, Gateway Pundit changed a story that it wrote about this whole thing to say that Voss had not worked with... Mark Elias, but Mark Elias had cited Robin's comments in arguing for Dropbox. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it just shows you like this this pressure and that anything election related for Republicans. There is that: are you making the Trump base happy, or are you risking alienating them right now? Yeah,
0: and, and this week also, uh, the Iowa County Republican Party sent out a letter, kind of attacking Robin Foss, asking him to resign because he's not doing enough on ballot drop boxes. Uh, another big news this week was the unprecedented. Unprecedented, <laughs> I can't stress that enough. The masses amount massive amount of money that the state is projected to come through for the budget surplus. So let's just kind of break it down a little bit about the numbers and then we'll dive into what this means for the state. So it's projected three point eight billion billion dollar surplus about 2.5 billion more in projected tax revenue than about like six months ago and what they projected so it's a drop of about 340 million in expected appropriations in 2021 and 2022 so jr a lot of money here mm-hmm. uh, we'll get into a little bit about what both parties want to do with it but I mean, this is numbers, I think we spoke a little bit off air, that this is something you have never even seen yep. in your career. This is just so much.
1: So I'll warn you that one thing I, I geek out about more than redistricting <laughs> is revenue projections. <laughs> yes. So remember, in June, Fiscal Bureau said we're going to have $4.4 billion more than revenue we thought we are going to have just in January. That opened the door to $2 billion of tax cuts in the budget. Go back before that, just a year earlier, LFB said we're going to have $1.2 billion more than we thought Uh, actually in January of last year, LFB said we'll have 1.2 billion dollars more in revenue than what the administration thought in just November. So this 1.2 billion more, 4.4 billion more, and now this 2.5 billion more revenue, that is an unprecedented run. The last we've been driven almost entirely by the COVID-19 money. It is flooding states with money, the coffers are full, there's money to play with. It's unbelievable. At the same time, all the hubbub about the revenue numbers there's one memo that was lost in the shelf for a lot of people about what they can do with this. Don't forget the federal government said with the COVID-19 money for schools you have to maintain your share of spending for k-12 education and higher ed to qualify for about 2.3 billion in COVID money for k-12 schools. There's a maintenance requirement for fiscal year 21-22 that covers the second of the three COVID packages also overlaps the third one and another fiscal year the next one that also applies to the last COVID package that's all about spending doesn't matter how much revenue brings all about how much you spend that's why that number about the drop in expected expenditure is so important that 340 million less is driven by the federal government putting more money into the the Medicaid program so the state state federal program that's funded by both governments the more you put in an enhanced matching uh, uh, matching formula sorry for the feds from the feds the less state money you put in that means the state could spend, could spend, $387 million in this fiscal year. That's it. So that 3800000000 yeah. billion, don't focus on that. Right. Focus on a smaller number, because unless you, if you spend more than that, you trigger the means of effort requirement, which means more money for education. Right? Oh, by the way, in year two, when you also have to meet that MOE to qualify for more federal money, we're just shy of the spending requirement. That could change a great deal. There's $220 million in the second year of the biennium for uh, remember personal property tax repeal, right? right. There's a trailer bill to the budget, money put aside, that bill got vetoed. They've shown, Republicans have no interest in Evers' bill to, you know, repeal that tax. If they don't do that, that could help us maintenance of that requirement second year. Also, if the feds keep doing the maintenance, uh, the enhanced federal matching uh, formula for Medicaid, that could also help that spending requirement second year. But the bottom line is we're in great shape, but not necessarily to sort of spend a whole lot of money right now unless you pump even more money education.
0: And that's kind of the strategy that we've been hearing from Republicans, why they don't want to act on this massive amount of money. is Because, A, they want to see who wins the governor's mm-hmm. race, if they'll have more power and more control over what to do with it. And they why not wait, right? Um, the dueling kind of things that we've been hearing this week is Evers kind of released this huge plan, yep. what he wants to do with the money, kind of the top-line headline that grabbed everyone's attention is that he wants to give everyone a $150 uh, check in the mail for a refund fun but you know all of his priorities here that you're kind of looking at right here some tax rebates a tax credit to cover uh, family caregivers increasing K through 12 education UW system technical colleges all of this sounds great and so does $150 right who doesn't want who doesn't want their money back mm-hmm. he ha- any plan that he wants to propose has to be approved by the joint finance committee which we know is controlled by republicans meanwhile we heard assembly speaker Robin Voss hint during his uh, session availability on tuesday that he wants these these massive tax cuts but he didn't go into details because we think we know the strategy is they want to wait until the next budget cycle so they can do what they please maybe they'll have a republican governor mm-hmm. who knows uh let's hear a little bit from the co-chair on the joint finance uh representative mark bourne who's kind of touting the past 10 years is why we have this much more money and then governor evers saying why not spend it right now we shouldn't be waiting
1: The general fund balance will be at $3.8 billion at the end of this uh, two-year budget. That's a $2.9 billion increase from what was projected just a few months ago. Uh, That does not include, of course, our $1.7 billion also in our budget stabilization fund, or the rainy day fund as we like to call it. This is, of course, due to quality conservative budgeting for the last 10 years. Um, good policy like the tax cuts we've seen in the last decade from this legislature, as well as the influx of massive amounts of federal money uh, into our state in the last uh, two years. I have yet to hear a single good reason why the state should sit on $4 billion for a year and a half when the people of our state could use our help. When the state is sitting on the largest rainy day fund, and positive gap general fund balance in our state's history. There sure as hell aren't excuses. Wisconsinites can't wait. They need help now. I've got a plan to do it, and I know Republicans and I can find common ground.
0: So Republicans are seeing what Evers is trying to do, especially with this $150 refund. Is that it's a big campaign uh, pitch? Back in 2018, if you remember, Governor Scott Walker did the same thing with the child tax credit. It was about $100, yep, correct? And you also did some research, even going even farther back. Tommy Thompson did something similar. So, yep. you know, Voss and the GOP leaders are saying, "Well, Evers is just being political." You know, re- you know. Democrats in 2018 bash Scott Walker that he just wanted to hand out blank checks. Why not just do it at the ballot drop box? But it seems like this is something, this is a theme that we've seen from Republican Mm -hmm. and Democratic governors over the years. Yeah,
1: and look at that chart again about Beaver's plan, that top half, all those tax cuts, that's what the governor wants to do. Education is what he has to do, that maintenance of effort requirement again, okay? Mm -hmm. The challenge is whatever you're spending now, you're also creating a commitment in the future. And so that's a challenge that the governor wants to do. I think he knows it's not going to happen, so we don't have to worry about the ramifications, but the more you pump into these formulas we have in the state right now, the more you're committing the state to spending in the future because things usually go up. They don't go down. And here's not to be like, you know, Mr. Rainy Day here, but um, the issue, too, has been we've had an unprecedented run of general purpose revenue growth over the last decade. I mean, it's really been remarkable what we've seen. In 2014, Scott Walker, Republicans, pumped a bunch of money into the tech college levy to buy down those levies, an election year gamut, right? Also did some other stuff with holding tables, trying to like deliver for taxpayers with a, a surplus. Republicans, when they had to control everything, bought down the levies for tech colleges, schools. They used that GPR gravy train to keep down property taxes. When the GPR gravy train runs out, you have a choice. Either you allow locals to raise property taxes dramatically to make up that lost state aid, or you ratchet down what they can spend and you cause deep cuts in services. It will not be pretty, um, it'll happen eventually, hopefully it won't be that severe, but recessions happen. It'll happen eventually, and that's gonna be something to keep in mind with all this. Two, for Republicans, they wanna use this big money, one, not give yours more credit, because you know, governor's been talking about the two billion dollars in tax cuts in the last budget, right? Taking credit for that, they hate that. Um, they wanna give a governor, Clayfish, or Nicholson, or whoever, the opportunity to do this stuff. They also want to look at, like, can they do structural reform to the taxes, right? You're gonna hear a call from the wing talking about limiting the income tax. Can they do that? It's not enough money here to do that, uh, but, you know, it could be something you see discussed Next year, if Republicans have full control of the Capitol.
0: That's right, and I just want to quickly recap uh, the session day that happened. We had the Senate and the Assembly both in this week. It was a busy session day on Tuesday. Uh, Republicans advanced more of their theme of this tough on crime agenda. One bill that passed in both chambers uh, specifically dealt with riders. Basically creating stiffer penalties for those who participate or if you're even near a riot, you would get penalized. Basically if you would attend or be near one, you could face up to 30 days in jail. Uh, the law enforcement package that we've talked on the show before basically incentivizes <clears throat> smaller police departments in a sense, giving bonuses uh, to new recruits and those who come out of state to help bolster uh, law, our law enforcement agencies across the state. They can get reimbursed for training and their equipment. Also saw uh, critical race theory finally make its way all the way through the legislature, uh, which would ban the teaching of it in schools that Bill will head to Governor Tony's desk, which of course he is likely to veto. Some other COVID-19 bills that would prohibit uh, the so-called vaccine passports and allow a previous COVID-19 infection to be used as proof of immunity. Uh, Stiffer penalties on rioters was one of the main debates on the assembly floor. Let's hear a little bit from Representative Hong and Rep. Dietrich uh, on both sides. Basically what Democrats are arguing with, this bill is that it's a little unclear um, and vague because it doesn't specifically state what if you're a peaceful protester would you would you be penalized and it's that's why they they think it's a little too vague legislation let's take a listen this bill is an attempt to create anti-protest laws and suppress free speech it puts forward increased penalties while simultaneously paring back the rights of peaceful protesters and opening them up To criminal exposure for the misdeeds the missteps of others and it acts as a direct attack on the social and environmental justice movements that have been at the forefront of the american psyche the biggest threat to public safety is living in a country a state where this bill becomes law we had a colleague from the other side of the aisle who was hospitalized and traumatized by protesters. This bill does not blur the lines, but clarifies the difference between our First Amendment rights to protest and rioting. When it moves beyond that, it has to be properly addressed. And this bill does that. This behavior has got to stop. People deserve to feel safe in their workplace, in their homes, without physical threat of violence. We, we've talked about this before, J.R. Uh, we know a lot of these bills are going to maybe make it way, make its way to the governor's desk. They're not going to go anywhere. He's like, I'm going to veto them, trying just to fire up their base, saying, this is what we did, we tried. It's, Governor, it's on Governor Evers headed into the November election. Uh, now let's head into stock picks. This week you have rising state troopers because they're going to get a little pay raise. Yep.
1: So two years ago, uh, the Evers administration presented a, a contract to the legislature that would have given state troopers a 20% raise. And Republicans went, whoa, this is way too much. We can't do this. Well, they eventually approved a 9.9% raise. And then, quiet with a nary word, this past week, they approved an 8.5% raise. So basically got them about where they were going to be before. Like, state troopers have had a problem that they lag behind a lot of their peers in terms of starting pay and top pay. They have problems with re- retention and recruitment because other agencies pay more money. We see it a lot where people graduate from the State Patrol Academy, start the job, and then go get hired by somebody else. This doesn't get them to parity necessarily, the biggest agencies in Wisconsin, but it gets them in the same ballpark with more of them. So it's a big boost for them. And it was just interesting was that there wasn't any debate about it really. Right. Um, one thing I heard was that just breaking it up, that big of a raise kind of made it more palatable for Republicans. And two, the world's changed a bit since so twi- uh, December, December 2019, when that 20% raise was proposed, think about like all the protests, right. policing, state troopers have been helping out with some high profile cases. When Kenosha was uh, having violent protests, state troops were down there. Like it's just much more of a better environment to like say, hey, we need to give these guys something uh, to help them out.
0: And mixed this week, you have Jay Rothman, who was uh, decided to lead the UW system, and he's facing a lot of tough questions because yep. he doesn't come from an education background.
1: Yeah, some news that broke after last week's episode that he got hired uh, to be president, and that's just it. He, he's not from an academic background. The first non-academic to lead UW on a non-interim basis in this more than 50 year history, I asked people like, what's going on? Well, a couple of questions that were raised. One, the search committee presented two white males as finalists. That was kind of an eyebrow raiser, right? Two, this guy's got no academic experience. But what I heard was that it's not about the academic piece, it's being a leader, having the management experience. Um, You can surround him with academic type folks or who know how to run the system. They need somebody who's got a vision of, what should the system be? How big should the system administration be? Um, how big should the system be in general, right? I mean, there are some issues there with two-year campuses, all this kind of stuff going on. Um, he has the opportunity to be a change agent. Should also note that he's been no stranger to politics. He's given about seventy grand since 2010 to various parties, most of it toward Republicans. Uh, did give like ten grand to Governor Evers last couple of years, gave 24000 I think, to Walker. So a little more toward Republicans. And Republican lawmakers, we're going to run the Capitol, the state legislature at least for the near term, right? they may be open to a guy who's got business experience as university's kind of uh, envoy. Remember Ray Cross? Yep. He was supposed to be like this guy who could go work with Republicans um, after the budget. That didn't turn out too well. <laughs> I feel like I kicked in the shins. <laughs> yeah. didn't go very well. Tommy Thompson, Republican governor. You can't really figure out if somebody would have done better than Tommy in his role with like the budget and with COVID stuff. Right. The argument for Tommy is he did better than anybody else would have done. Well, here's somebody else who maybe can have an a door open at least for Republican lawmakers to try and argue for the university and present a vision of what he wants it to be. That's the big thing. What's his vision for the system and can he win Republicans over on that vision?
0: And a lot of lingering questions too. Is he going to be able to, you know, build a relationship with Republicans? How is he going to handle Mm COVID-19? So no one's really gotten the chance to sit down with him yet to learn about his vision, but I'm sure in a few weeks we will. And then following this week is GOP unity. Yes. I don't even know how to recap well, this. It's, there's a lot of messy things going on right now in the party.
1: The primary for governor is not the only thing to worry about for Republicans. So we talked about the drop box thing, right? You've got Robin Voss, who's being targeted by these conservative media outlets. That's going on. Also, interestingly, Nicholson's running against Robin Voss. Rebecca Clayfish made a comment in a radio interview that she wouldn't call on Robin to like resign or anything, but that Republicans and the assembly should pick their speaker wisely. That kind of raised some eyebrows. Like, don't these guys know that he's going to be speaker after this? Like, exactly. Like, miracles happen. Democrats could <laughs> win the assembly in November. We don't expect it to happen. Robin Voss is in charge. He runs a show. He should be speaker again in 23 if all goes according to plan. they got to work with this guy. And here they are kind of taking shots at him, Nicholson especially. That's kind of an eyebrow raiser. Then this whole, like, Rantham thing that we talked about last week where his full-time staffer got pulled. Um, he tried to bring this pr- uh, a resolution to the floor on Tuesday that would basically – Declare the electors of Wisconsin, pull them back from Biden, give, you know, can't happen, All right, We know it can't happen. We know it's
0: not possible.
1: But here's an example of how things become misinformation in the public realm, where the resolution was basically, they used a procedural move to kill the resolution. They put it in the rules committee. It was done to shield members from having to take that vote. Because if you have a vote on the floor, right, you put every Republican on record of, do you think the election was stolen? Well, with that base that thinks it was, if they see you're not with them, that might cause you some problems, right? So they, But this resolution off in the Rules Committee, basically kill it. Well, Gateway Pundit, either, because they don't know what the heck they're doing, or they're intentionally misleading people, claimed that this was moving the resolution forward, right? Right. Which is not what was happening. It did not happen, no. They're killing it. Then this uh, candidate for governor in Arizona, um, whose big Trump supporter got his endorsement, she claimed on social media that the Republicans and somebody voted to rescind the electors for Biden, which is absolutely 100% not true. But that feeds that machine, that beast that's saying something was wrong, we're fired up. It feeds those folks at misinformation, and it causes a problem where Robin Voss is getting grief from saying not doing enough to stop the steal. The, the game one thing isn't enough. There's just a constant pressure on these guys right now. And it could be a, a very challenging environment to govern. However, it turns out, this November.
0: Right. We will wait and see. <laughs> it's a lot to come forth this year. All right, that will do it this, this week. We'll see you next week. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm Jr. Ross. Have a good one. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.